I want you to take out your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And um, we're going to look at a great deal of Scripture today. So Romans chapter 12 is the only one that I'm going to actually have you turn to in your Bibles. Uh, because the amount uh, of the amount of Scripture passages that we're going to look at, we're going to read them together from the screens. But we will both be proclaiming the Word this morning. So Romans chapter 12, and just kind of hold your place there. A couple of weeks ago, when Pastor Farrell first introduced uh, our worship series, Watershed Worship, he referenced the, the Continental Divide. Do you remember that? The, the continent, there was a picture of the Continental Divide on the screens, and then there was a map alongside of it. Uh, and, and he referenced that in the first week of, our, of our, our worship series. Well, the Continental Divide, or the Rocky Mountains as we often refer to it as, is the longest chain of mountains in the world. Did you know that? It's the longest chain of mountains in the world. And in the United States, the Continental Divide serves as the watershed that flows out to the Atlantic Ocean and out to the Pacific Ocean. The water that flows down from the Continental Divide out towards the Atlantic Ocean, actually as it flows, it flows down through a series of streams and rivers and tributaries. And what happens is because it's distributing itself so freely, all of the, the fields and the plains that are in its pathway become rich and green with life. In other words, everything in its pathway is given in life. By way of contrast, the water that flows out westward towards the Pacific Ocean, as it flows down, it flows down through a much more desert-like region. And the reason is as it flows down, it flows down through a very um, selfish, uh, primarily unshared uh, river flow, the flow of the Colorado River. So it flows down through this ever-deepening gorge that's been created through the Colorado River. And it's from that picture that we drew the parallel for this series, Watershed Worship. You see, our worship has a watershed effect. Let me say that again. The way we worship has a watershed effect. In other words, we can worship in a God-honoring way uh, where in our praise, in our admiration to God, we lift up praises to Him. And as it flows out and up to Him, what happens is uh, uh, there's, a, there's an inward transformation that begins to happen in us because we recognize who God is. We, we recall who He is. And then as it flows up to Him, it also flows out of us. And what happens is as we live our life, everyone that we come in contact with our life is a life of worship. So our worship begins to flow out onto people and it brings life and it brings healing and it brings restoration and it brings blessing to everyone in the pathway. Or we can be like the Colorado River, the watershed that flows through the Colorado River. Um, we can be uh, like the Colorado River in that we can become so... Um, self-focused in our worship. In other words, uh, focusing on personal blessing in our worship. And, and just bear with me here because I, I actually I, I want to say this. Uh, when I say focused on our personal blessing, sometimes in our worship, we can get so caught up in things like worship styles 
and volume and I wish it were more of this and less of this or I wish it were less of this and more of this that what happens is we actually lose sight listen to me we lose sight of what God wants to do in us as we worship him and what he wants to do through us as worship flows out from us so our worship has a watershed effect Today, as we conclude this uh, series, I want to talk about personal uh, worship expressions. Personal and worship expressions that happen in our corporate times of worship. And by worship expressions, I'm talking about those expressions of worship that uh, happen through our voice, through our posture, and with our hands. And in all honesty, it's these worship expressions that can oftentimes for people cause a bit of angst, some anxiety, some confusion, and even a resistance. Maybe you found yourself asking the question, why in the world did they work so hard at trying to get us so excited or, or emotional? Why do they work so hard at trying to get us all fired up? And here's what I want to say this morning. At Grace Covenant, the goal of our worship is never to merely uh, manipulate an atmosphere that would create emotionalism and excitement. That's, that's never our goal. Instead, our goal in worship is always that together we would create an atmosphere where God loves and longs to dwell. Scripture says that he lives in the praises of his people. That's why we encourage worship together. In our heart, our goal is that we would always create an atmosphere where he loves and longs to dwell, where his presence and his power are manifest. Why? Because it's when, his, when this atmosphere is set up and his presence and his power begins to manifest that you and I begin to experience uh, a change on the inside. Something begins to happen on the inside. And then uh, as a result, what comes out are expressions of worship that say, God, I am so thankful for what you have done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. It's gratitude that begins on the inside and wells up because we recognize that our God is a great God who has the best for us and is transforming us into his image. And then as a result, as we begin to go out from this place and live live out this transformation that's happening on the inside. Our life is a lifestyle of worship. So this is watershed worship. As we go out, everyone we come in contact with, all of the rivers, all the streams, all the tributaries of our life, as the people who are in the pathway and we're living this out, guess what? They begin to sense the power and the presence of God. And they begin to ask questions. And they say, tell me about your life. What is different? I've heard stories of this happening just this past week. And guess what? Through our worship, we become a blessing to them, helping them draw closer to God. That's the goal. That's the goal of worship at Grace Covenant. Now, the reality is this. The way we, do, the way we worship will always be determined by our understanding of God's call to worship. Let me say that again. The way we worship 
will always be determined by our understanding of God's call to worship. And it's important that we understand that within God's call to worship, we are called to a kind of worship that engages our entire being. And that's what we find in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I want you to look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 with me. I think it's going to come up on the screens as well. We're going to read it together. As we read this morning, we're going to read in a great loud voice, okay? And you can join us there if you're watching online. You ready? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's pretty plain, isn't it? Paul's writing, he says, I urge you to offer this body as a sacrificial act of worship to God. How do we do that? Again, we do it as we live our life every day. We are a sacrificial act of worship as we submit to God and we live out his story in our life. That's that's an act of worship, an ongoing act of worship. But we also, when we come together, it can happen in our private worship, but also in our corporate worship, we use this body or the instruments of this body as instruments of worship and praise. And merely, again, what's happening is what's going on on the inside is working itself to the outside, and we express it through this body. This morning, I want to spend some time talking to you about nine expressions of worship. Nine expressions of worship. And here's how we'll do it. They're divided into three categories. I've given this away a little bit earlier. We're going to look at four expressions of worship that have to do with our voice. Worship expressed through our voice. We're going to look at three expressions of worship as worship is expressed through our posture. And then we're going to look at two expressions of worship as worship is expressed through our hands. The reason we're going to do this is because, again, the way we worship will be determined by our understanding of God's call to worship. I actually had a gentleman come to me after the last service and he said, thank you. I I did not know this. I did not know that this is what the Bible said about these expressions of worship. Now, I, I am going to believe that even probably his, the way he worships will, will change because now he has an understanding. And so that's why we're going to walk through these. And then at the end, uh, we, we're going to end in a timely manner so that we get you out here at the same time we do. We're just going to put them to practice. We're going to worship. So are you ready to jump into these expressions of worship? Okay, let's do it. Okay, so first we're looking at uh, expressions of worship, four expressions that come through the voice. The voice and the first is it's speaking. It's speaking. Uh, what does the scripture say about it? I want you to read with me Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. You ready? Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. So what's it saying? That we use our lips and we confess who he is. There's one more I want us to read. Uh, what is it? It's um, Psalm 34.1. Let's read this together. I extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Extol means to lift up praise to him. I will praise him at all times. His praise will always be where? On my lips. So practically speaking, what does that look like? Well, it's a very simple concept. We take our voice, we take our mouth, we take our lips, and we formulate words. And and then we speak them out. So in our worship, what does that look like? We take our mouth, we take our voice, we take our lips, and we formulate words about God 
that we speak about God to God, not because he doesn't know, but because we are recalling, we are reminding ourselves of who he is and declaring it in the presence of the people. And so we speak words about God to God, and we actually speak those words about God out to other people. It's, it, that's, it's just that, that simple. Um, oftentimes the question arises, well, what, what do I say? How, I, don't, I don't know I don't know what to say uh, because, you know, let me put a parenthesis there. Oftentimes, as our worship team is on the platform, um, there'll be times in the song where it's, they'll, they'll sing, you know, we'll sing together, and then there's a, a musical interlude. You know that that musical interlude isn't there so you can say, look at that guitarist. He is just incredible. Did you see those licks on the guitar? He doesn't want that. Because, you see, we've taught our musicians, he's not a guitarist. What is he? He is a priest. He's a priest from last week and that he's not on a stage, but instead he's on a worship platform. And what he's doing when he's playing the guitar is allowing space for us to worship. So in those musical interludes, those are great times where we can begin to just speak praise. You don't even have to be directed to that. But if the music's going, you just begin to say, God, you are great. There is no one like you. And I lift my hands in this place right now and I declare that I love you with all my heart. And music's going and the music's going you go God I just do I just love you so much and then we start singing again and that's one of the ways that it happens you say well I don't know exactly what to say and here's what I would say become a student of the Psalms just become a student of the Psalms when you begin to read through the Psalms you will uh, pick up phrases David said God you're my rock you're my firm foundation. You're my protector. You're my covering. And you read through and you just find all of these phrases that you can begin to adapt into your worship vocabulary. So we're worshiping and the music's going to go, God, you're my rock. You're my firm foundation. It doesn't matter that you got it from David because David realized it because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. And so we begin to just lift up these. We speak out words of worship and, and praise Him. So become a student of the Psalms. Here's the second expression that comes through our voice. It's singing. And it's probably the one that we most commonly use. Read with me Psalm 147, verse 1. You ready? Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise Him, to sing praises to our God. So practically speaking, what does it look like? Well, once again, it's a, it's a simple concept. We take words, we use our mouth, our voice, our lips, and we formulate words. And instead of speaking them, we sing them. Uh, in my house, uh, I sing all the time. I'm sure that our Cammie's sometimes like, if, if you, I, I'm sure, I, I'm surprised she doesn't wear earplugs around the house. She loves my voice. Um, <laughs> but I sing all the time, but they're not, I make up songs all the time. Like, like I might say, Cammie, I love you and you are the best wife in the world. I'm so God, glad God gave you to me. But I have been known to say, hey, Cammie, you are a great wife. I love you with all my heart. I'm so glad God gave you to me. And she's like, what's this all about? And then I realized my, my youngest son does it too. He goes around the house and he makes up. So he sings to the dog. We have Lucy, and he, I heard him this week. He just moved back home from California, and he said, Lucy, you're so fat. 
but, but I, I, I'm just using the concept, but I'm saying it's just a simple thing. We take words that we would speak and, and we put them to music. So in our worship, we do the same thing. Words that we form with our mouth, our voice, our lips uh, about God to God, instead of speaking them, we sing them. And we do that every week. Aren't you glad the songs are already written for you? And you don't have to sing the silly songs like I make up. Although it is okay to do that in worship. But we sing songs every week. We sing songs about God to God. And and that's worship. Why is our song so important? Why is our song so important? Well, first of all, our song, as well as our spoken word, invites God's presence. We, we extend an invitation. For instance, one of the songs we sing is, We Welcome You With Praise. So what do you say? We welcome you with praise. We welcome you with praise. Almighty God of love, be welcome in this place. So we, we extend a song of invitation. But also, through our song, God's power is released. Just as it is with our spoken word. But there's something that happens about a song lifted up to God. And and just let me say, there are songs that are written. But the Bible also talks about singing a new song to the Lord. And so oftentimes in my worship, I sing songs that no one's ever written on paper. Just like I sing songs to my wife. There are times in my own worship. There are times here in our worship where I'm just singing, God, I love you. You are the king of my life. There is no one like you. Thank you, God. Thank you for saving me. And that's like singing a new song to the Lord. It's just, it, it, it comes from the melody in my heart because I recognize what God's done for me and it's got to make its way out. Also, I believe not only is God's presence invited through our song, but his power is released. I think about Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas were in prison. And uh, it says, at about midnight, as they were what? Singing praises to God. What happened? There was an earthquake. And I believe that that earthquake came because they were releasing God's power. And then what happened is that place shook. All the prisoners suddenly were set free. Their chains were broken. And I believe that the same thing happens when we lift up our song in worship and praise and adoration to God. There is a release of God's power. It is manifest in this place, in our hearts, in our lives. And that's when bondages are broken, chains are broken, and people are set free. It happens through worship. We find it all throughout Scripture. We find that when song was lifted up, there was, a, there was a release of power that came. God's power, a work of the Holy Spirit. I know this is true because of in my own personal life. My, my son, Zach, he's, uh, he's 23 years old. He was born at St. Joseph's Hospital in Burbank, California. I'll never forget the day. Uh, shortly after he was born, he, he made a quick arrival. It was much quicker than we thought it was going to be. And that's been his life ever since. Um, uh, but shortly after he was born, um, the, the, the nurses noticed that he was blue from the waist down. And so they recognized that one of his heart valves was not working. 
And so they began to prepare us for the fact that he may very well die. They were in process of uh, enlisting a helicopter to helicopter him to a nearby children's hospital. Um, Cammie was still recovering from the, from the birth, and so uh, a nurse who did not have great bedside manner took her a Polaroid snapshot of, of Zach and said, this is your son, this may be the only picture you have of him. Um, and so she was recovering and devastated, and uh, they were going to house him in, uh, in neonatal intensive, intensive care before he was going to go to Children's Hospital. And I know that this was a God appointment. I just know it was. They put him in this holding room, and he was the only uh, child, the only infant in this room. And I think that they were also preparing me or giving me some time with Zach. Uh, but they put him in my arms, and then they left. And suddenly it felt like I was the only person in the entire hospital. And I was sitting in a rocking chair and I was holding my newborn baby. And I began to cry out to God, God, I know you are the healer. And then I began to sing over that child, God, you're my healer. You're Zach's healer. Touch this child and heal him, Lord. Release your healing power. And I got to tell you, when I was 15 years old, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And not long after that, God gave me a heavenly language. And I used that heavenly language that day. And this might freak some of you out. Maybe never heard it again. But I know that there's power in the release of that. And as I sat and I began to sing, in, uh, as I was singing to my child over in English, I began to sing over him in the spirit. God, release your power. Heal this child. And then they came and they took him. And about an hour later, the doctor came in and goes, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. But his heart's fine. He's not blue anymore. Well, we knew what would have happened. God's power had been released through the power of a song. It still happens today. Listen, I got to tell you, that's why we do this worship thing at church. Because I know, I know that when we come together, we come with all kinds of heartaches. And we come with all kinds of issues. And we come with bondages that need to be broken. And if we can just push through ourselves, and if we can begin to lift up a song to God and say, God, I know you're my healer. I ask that you heal me, Lord, set me free. Set me free, oh God. Release these chains from me. You know what happens as you call out to God? His power is released and he begins to do a work in and through you. Don't ever limit the power of the song that is lifted up to Almighty God because there's power in your song. Let's look at a third expression. Shouting. This one can cause some consternation, can it? Let's see what the Bible says about shouting. Look at Psalm 27, 6. Let's read it together. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Shouts of joy. If you read the whole psalm, David is uh, talking about the troublesome times that he's been going through. And then he recalls the fact that God is the one who brings him through the troubled times. And that's when he says, and when I'm in your tabernacle, because of what you have done, I will shout with joy. Listen, there are times in our worship where the best way we can express what's going on inside of us is with a soft whisper to say, God, I love you so much. You are my God and my King. 
But there are other times where the only way that can be expressed, uh, what's going on inside of us can be expressed, is with a shout of joy. God, thank you that you are alive and I am alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. And you set me free. It's because it's welling up on the inside of us. And it's coming out and it's got to make its way out. A shout can be a, a, a battle cry shout. See, oftentimes in our worship, as we're worshiping, we can move into a time of warfare in our worship. There have been times where I've been praying for my children, and suddenly I realize that I've gone from a time of worship to a time of warfare, where I'm doing warfare in the heavenlies for my family. And there are times where in that worship, I let out a shout, a battle cry to say, no weapon formed against my child will prosper, and I stand firm on that today. And there are times where as I'm worshiping and I experience what I know as breakthrough in my spirit, I say, thank you, God, for the victory. Thank you, God. And it's a shout of joy because something is happening on the inside. Something's happening in the heavenlies and it's welling up within us. Don't ever be afraid of the shout. Don't be afraid. You know, I said our goal is never to manipulate emotion However, when God's doing something on the inside of you, I do believe that there is an emotion that is attached to our worship. It's not deadpan worship. A shout of joy. Uh, Let's look at the fourth, fourth one with our voice. It's silence. Silence. Let's look at Habakkuk 2.20. Would you read this with me? But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The uh, Holman translation of this same verse says, Let everyone in all the earth stand silent before the Lord. Now, uh, what, is, what, is, what does silence look like? Well, it looks like this. You're a little nervous with this, aren't you? Because we don't like silence. We feel like we've got to fill in the gaps. But there should be times in our worship where we're silent and we wait before the Lord. You see, worship is a two-way communication. We speak to God and God speaks to us. Or at least he wants to if we'll shut up. If we don't give him a chance, then he can't speak. So in our worship, we should never be afraid of the times of silence where we just stand in his presence. Maybe we kneel. Maybe we sit and we just listen. Because what happens is in those silent times, and I know it seems, how do you associate silence with the voice? Because sometimes sometimes the best thing we can do with our voice is to not use it. Don't don't use it. In those times where we're silent before the Lord, He affirms. He gives direction. He confirms. He brings correction. It's in those times that He speaks a word. In fact, uh, just after, uh, before this service began, hold on. Someone gave me just a word that the Lord spoke during our last service. Because they were willing to be silent and listen. And it just said this. Be still and know that I am God. I love you. I desire to speak to you. Listen. Rest in my embrace. Let my Holy Spirit examine your heart. 
Are you building unity and strengthening the body of Christ? Or are you being an instrument of division? It's a good affirming word. And it's a word that says, okay, do you need to make a course direction? And that's what God does in those times of silence when we allow for. So we should never be afraid of the silent times. Okay, so those are four expressions that have to do with our voice. Let's look at three expressions that have to do with our posture. The first one is bowing. Let's read together Psalm 95, verse 6. You ready? Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Um, Practically speaking, bowing is always in connection with honor and respect. We bow before royalty. If a king or queen were to walk into this place right now, uh, culture would say it would be correct to bow before that person. And what we're saying is we recognize your presence and we recognize your importance. Well, think about it. In our worship, we've said, we welcome you with praise. We welcome you with praise. And so we've invited who the king of the universe to be in our presence. So would it make sense or wouldn't it make sense that there would be times perhaps where as he's here in our presence that we might bow before him? You see, what bowing is a sign of, it's a sign of submission. And in bowing, we're saying, I place myself under you, Father God. Jesus, I submit to you. You are the ruler. You are the king. You are the one who controls my life, not me. And so we find ourselves bowing in worship. And bowing can, can look like this. Bowing always happens in the heart first. True, true uh, submission happens in the heart first. And so perhaps we're in a worship service and we feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. We sense that God's doing something in us. And maybe something's been out of control where we've been trying to control our life. We want to bring that back in order. And in our worship, we find ourselves bowing. So it could like, look like this, just where you are now. You're sitting and you might just kind of lean forward and bow your head. And you're saying, I bow before you, Lord. I recognize that things have been out of order. And so as I worship you today, I submit to you. You are the ruler of my life. I release control. I give it to you. Those are the kinds of things that happen in worship. Or it could be that you would just drop to your knees in the seat where you are and just do this. God, I, I, I really have been out of control and I really need you. And so right now I bow before you. I submit myself to you. Bowing. It's an expression of worship. Will you do it every time you worship? No, but there should always be that bowing that happens in our heart, that submission that happens in our heart. Uh, Let's look at the second one in this category with our posture, standing. Let's read Exodus 33.10. You ready? Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to his tent. So what we find in Exodus is that the children of Israel are traveling through the wilderness and there's a portable tabernacle. Uh, the, uh, they are being, God is leading them by day by a, a pillar of cloud, by night by a pillar of fire. And what it's saying is that when the people saw the presence of God, when they recognized that the presence of God, they came out of their tent and they stood worshiping Almighty God. For us, we do the same. It's, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's associated again with the respect and honor. We've invited 
the king of the universe, to be in our presence. And so we never stand as ritual. I hope we can always get past the fact that it's at Grace Covenant, we stand for the first song, we sit down, we do announcements and offering, and then we stand for three more songs. It, it, that's never the purpose. In fact, it's quite honestly, if you want to sit during worship, it's fine. No one's making you do that. But what I'm saying is as an expression of worship, recognizing how great God is, there's something that causes us to want to stand in the presence of the Almighty God and offer our worship to Him. We've invited Him, so worship should, uh, standing in worship should never be a complaint, but instead we recognize we are privileged and graced with His presence. Let's look at the third one in this category, dancing. Wow. Uh, dancing. Let's read Psalm 149.3. You ready? Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. You know, uh, dancing is basically a, uh, an expression of joy that springs up. It's movement of the body, uh, an expression of joy. We see children dance. Let's, I think we have a picture of it. It's not uncommon. Uh, Pastor David Brown, his little girls, uh, Laura Kate and Sarah Beth, it's not uncommon to see those two little girls in the hallways. They've got these incredibly vivid imaginations. And they dance like princesses all around these hallways because there's a joy that's welling up in them. Uh, another time where you would express joy through dance is at a wedding. I've been to a wedding where there's dances, a couple dances. And then there's finally at sports. <laughs> that's an expression of joy, right? Yeah, dance is simply when something begins to well up in us and we want to express that joy through the movement of our body. So dance should never be considered off limits in our worship. However, I would also point us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that says in our worship, we must do things decently and in order. So in all of our expressions of worship, our expressions of worship should always direct people where to God and never to ourselves. So Anytime you're expressing worship, you want to make sure that you're not drawing attention away from God. And so the same would be true in dance or any expression of worship. You know, I'm not much of a dancer. I, I, um, I can clap my hands in rhythm. I can stomp my feet in rhythm. I can wave my hands to the music. But I can't seem to get all three of those things going at the same time. <laughs> And so when we go to weddings, and oftentimes we go to weddings and there's a dance floor at the wedding, Cammie says, come on, come on, come on out on the dance floor. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I really don't want to. And she's like, no, come on. And she knows. I think she knows it's hard for me. And so we get out on the dance floor and she's able to, and I say this in a very healthy way, she's able to get the groove going on. She's got it going. She, she, she can just do the move, you know. I'm not talking Miley Cyrus. I'm talking just a decent wedding dance, okay? And, 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 and here I am, I'm like... I hate it. I just hate it. However, I have been known to dance in worship and I've seen some of you do it too. You see, it doesn't have to be an outlandish experience. We have some great examples in Scripture. You know, after the children uh, of Israel crossed the Red Sea, what did Miriam do? She took her tambourine and she danced. And I got to believe it's some kind of dance after what they just saw. I mean, the waters came crashing down on their enemies. Dance, Miriam, dance. I don't blame her. And then we see David, you know, as the ark was finally carried in rightly and put in its place. And David stripped his robe and he began to dance before the Lord. And Michael, his wife, said, I 
can't believe this. And he said, I will be even more dignified in, than this in my worship to the Lord. He was not afraid to express it. But you know, sometimes for us in our worship, I, you know, I've caught some of you kind of doing the sway. I think that's dance. I've seen some of you doing a move your foot back and forth. I've even seen some of you doing this. I've seen some of you doing this. <laughs> now, something's wrong because I just said I can't dance. But, but I've been known to dance and worship too because something happens and it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm large, I'm awkward, but I've got to express it to God. i just got to do it. And sometimes it's this. Listen, dance is never off limits. However, in all of our worship expressions, Make sure they're drawing attention to God and not to us. So we've got two more to look at. And there's the, the expressions that happen with our hands. The first one in this category, we're coming in the home stretch, is clapping. Let's read Psalm 47.1. You ready? Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. You know, uh, clapping is... Uh, most commonly connected with welcome. So if, if uh, uh, Pastor Michelle was going to come to the platform, I might say, would you join me in welcoming Pastor Michelle? And what would we do? We would clap. Uh, it can be associated with victory. I could say, and the winner is Bill Everhart. And we might all clap because he was victorious. Or maybe someone gives a speech and at the end of the speech, we're in agreement. And so we clap. There's an agreement. We agree with what, what, has, what has been said. And in our worship, clapping is a sign of agreement. It's not just a nervous habit. It's not, we're not, again, we're not clapping for the musicians, but we're clapping because we are in agreement with what God says about who he is and what he'll do. We see uh, throughout the Old Testament, uh, the striking of hands was the sealing of a covenant agreement. And so in worship, when we clap unto the Lord, that's who we're clapping to. And this is what we're saying. God, I agree with who you are, what your word says about you. And I submit myself to you. And I ask, Lord, that you would help me every day to apply that to my life because I agree. That's what our clapping is all about. Now, oftentimes we kind of use clapping. We can't overuse it because we're, we're filling the space because sometimes we feel uncomfortable. Listen, make sure that when we clap, we're clapping to the Lord because we're in agreement. Here's the final one, the lifting of hands. Let's read Psalm 134, verse 2. You ready? Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Uh, if you're a fan of the old westerns, then you've heard the term stick them up. And you know what that means. It means that there's a gunman looking over the barrel of his gun. He's got his, hand, uh, his gun pointed in someone's back, and he's looking for this because that means I surrender. Now, God does not attend to our worship with a gun stuck in our back saying, stick him up. However, he does desire our surrender to him. And one of the most tangible, greatest expressions of saying, God, I surrender to you, is simply by lifting up our hands to God. To lift up our hands before God is to say, God, I surrender my life to you. God, I fully embrace you. God, I want all that you have for me. Yet this thing of lifting hands is such a simple concept. It's one of the ones that can cause the most um, angst uh, in worship. So um, I want everybody to do something for me. Would you do this? Just everybody in the room, just do this. Lift up your hands. Okay, keep them up for a minute. Is it that hard? I mean, look, nobody's laughing at you. Nobody's making you put them down. 
I, I, did, I do that because I just want to say, we don't want to limit ourselves in any expressions of worship. I know that God has made us all with great different temperaments and, and all of those things. And, and our personalities are expressed. But let's, when the work of the Holy Spirit is working inside of us, transforming us, let's don't be afraid of expressions of worship. God says, worship me with your whole body. I love the quote at the end of your teaching notes. It says, our entire being is fashioned as an instrument of praise. Just as a master violin maker designs an instrument to produce maximum aesthetic results, so God tailor-made our bodies, souls, and spirits to work together in consonants or in harmony to produce pleasing expressions of worship and praise. We are an instrument of worship. In just a moment, the worship team's going to come back out, and uh, we're going we're gonna to spend some time worshiping together. We're going to do two or three songs together. Again, I would ask that everyone would just, just stay. But we're, we're doing great on time. We're not going to run over or anything. And, and let's just experience this together and see what God wants us to do. But in order to set us up for that time of worship, I want you to watch the video screens for just a moment. For me, when I worship, because I believe that God inhabits my praise... I, I connect with him in a greater way than I, than I do anything else. And I believe that that uh, opportunity exists for all believers. Yeah. And so that's why worship is so important to me is because when I recognize who God is, when I viewed his mercy and I respond to that mercy, uh, I, I begin to experience him even more mm-hmm. and it's this awesome cycle because I realize who he is I respond to it I worship him when I worship him he inhabits my praises and when he inhabits my praises he's with me exactly. and, 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 and I learn about him even more and it just continues to, to grow and to grow and I I'm so passionate about about leading worship and about worshiping as a believer because I want I want to continue to experience that and I want everyone I know to experience that. I've felt what it's like to have the inhabitation of the Holy Spirit and you have too and yeah. others have too and and so it's contagious and like you just want to live in the presence of God because there is fullness of life. Yeah. There is peace. There is joy um, in the midst of sorrow. Not that everything yeah. in your life's okay and grand and wonderful because it's life. Life's you know, and, go and another thing too is worship and even hearing you speak now is kind of thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Worship is a key. There's a lot of times where we don't feel like that river of God's presence in our lives. And I think um, worship is the key to feeling that because when we worship God, and I'm not talking about when we sing songs, but when we worship him, because we recognize who he is, we position ourselves to, to be blessed by him, to be refreshed by him, to be filled with his Holy Spirit. If, if there's ever a time in, in someone's life where they're not hearing from God, I would encourage them to worship. Because you're inviting God to inhabit your situation. Yeah, you're, you're recognizing who he is. Exactly. So worship is me saying, God, I don't have everything figured out, but I know you do. And yeah. I know you're in control. And I know that you are in charge of my life. And 
I submit this to you. And it's such a release uh, for me to be able to submit and release the cares and the worries because Jesus says to give it to him mm-hmm. because his uh, yoke is easy and his burdens light. Yeah. So as we, it's a, it's a beautiful exchange and there's even a song about that. It's a, it's a beautiful exchange that we're able to exchange our dirty, filthy rags, our lives for his righteousness. And in that, uh, worship is the key that allows us to have that interaction and that uh, inhabitation of his spirit yeah. in our life. 